Hey everyone, this is Peter Levin, and you're listening to another episode of In Good Hands, a show about the companies and founders solving our climate crisis. Today, I interview Teague Egan, founder and CEO of EnergyX. EnergyX is an energy company focused on lithium extraction and recovery technology. In other words, they've built a technology that dramatically lowers the cost of extracting and recovering lithium resources, while also significantly increasing the output during those extraction processes. And the reason why this is important is pretty simple. If you believe in an electric future, right? Seeing roads that are filled with electric vehicles, all these vehicles have batteries. And one of the key materials in these batteries is lithium. So if you look at the math, we need more lithium so that we can make batteries that can power an electric vehicle future. And in the episode, Tegan and I will discuss how exactly he thought of the idea for EnergyX and the experiences that led to the Eureka moment. Why lithium is so important for our electric future, the two distinct ways that lithium is extracted today, and how their technology enables the more effective and sustainable approaches of the two. How he landed on the Impulsive Podcast, which is one of the largest shows in the world, and how exactly he parlayed that experience and publicity to the benefit of EnergyX. And finally, the crazy experiences that predate EnergyX, like signing Sammy Adams to his record label at the age of 21, that have shaped the entrepreneur and builder that Teague is today. So without further ado, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Teague Egan, founder and CEO of EnergyX. Teague, welcome to the show. Thanks, buddy. How are you? Good, man. Thank you, everyone who's listening. Teague woke up at 7 a.m. for this, so <laughs> thank you, Only for, you for bearing with me. Only for you. Um, so before we jump into the nitty-gritty, I just want to give a lay of the land. What is EnergyX? It's a great question. So EnergyX is a renewable energy technology company. We basically are addressing this booming market of electric vehicles and renewable energy. So we focus on the battery supply chain. So like think about how you make batteries. You have to have raw materials, specifically lithium, which is what we work on the most. And then combining all of these materials to make a battery, that's going to be a really important thing uh, moving into the future. So that's what we do. Mm -hmm. So we've done almost 100 episodes on the show. Nice. And not one of them have we dove into how exactly electrifying the world of transportation happens behind the scenes. And a lithium is a major piece of that. How does someone like yourself come to start this in the first place? What's that eureka moment that said, huh, this is what I got to start working on? Yeah. So I actually have that eureka moment. So that's pretty cool. But before I tell you about when I had that moment, I'll tell you kind of my thought process and just where I wanted to focus my effort, like what mm -hmm. I was working on in general. So 
I, I was doing like some investing and stuff and investing has become a lot more popular in the past few years with apps like Robinhood and with crypto and things like that. But it's not something that it is something that you could work on every day. It's just not something that like motivated me. I'm a builder. Uh, I'm an entrepreneur. And my dad saw that and he said, what are you doing with your life right now? You should start a, a company or you're just kind of like sitting on the couch, like trading stocks and stuff. Yes. Yeah, pretty good point. Mm -hmm. So he said, you should write down uh, your five passions and the five industries that you think are going to be the biggest industries in the next 20 to 40 years, like the industries of the future. So that's a pretty, that's a pretty cool idea. So I, I took some time. I, I took some time and I put like serious thought and effort into this. And I wrote like at least a full page on each of my five passions and why. And then the same thing for the future industries. And the two things that overlapped were space. I've just always been a huge fan of space, which I'm sure a lot of people are. And then renewable energy. My other passions were sports. I love watching sports. I love fitness and health. Uh, and I love design, just like drawing and creating and like art. Art is a facet of design. Those were the three things other than space and renewable energy. And I have a lot more passions than that, but those were like the top five. And then for industries of the future, the other ones were artificial intelligence, blockchain, and, and pretty, pretty much specifically crypto, but like all the other apps, you know, just blockchain in general. And then synthetic biology, like personalized medicine. And, and all those are good. And all my passions are good. But the two that overlapped were renewable energy and space. And so that's where I started to think about kind of where I wanted to focus my attention. But I didn't go after that, I didn't really go write down a list of business ideas. And that was just kind of an exercise that I did to get my mind working on what I wanted to do. And then a few months after that, I was down in South America on a trip for New Year's. Actually, I went down with a, a big group of friends. And I'd never really been to South America. I've been down like once or twice, but I'd never like explored. I'm a big explorer. I'm a big traveler and adventurer. And I, I like to rough it. Like anybody can go backpack around the world if they want. It's really not expensive to travel. Um, you know, I don't stay in hostels, but so I spent two weeks after New Year's traveling around to five or six different countries in South America. And went to Chile for the first time. I got to experience Santiago and Valparaiso, which is the town on the coast there. Went up to Peru and, and hiked Machu Picchu and the Inca Trail. Went sandboarding in the dunes of Huacachina. Was uh, was down in Argentina and, and uh, Uruguay. And I do kind of one, two, three days in each. I bounce around. And then I found myself in Bolivia, which is one of the only, there's only two landlocked countries in South America, Paraguay and Bolivia. But Bolivia is a super interesting country because half of it is in like on the Brazil side with the Amazon rainforest. And then the other half goes up into the Andes mountain range and is like these super high, like mountainous towns. And it actually has the the highest like populated city and, and it has the highest international airport in La Paz. 
I think it's 14 or 15,000 feet of elevation. So when you're taking off, it takes like super long to go down the runway because you have to get lift and stuff. But in Bolivia, the biggest tourist attraction is the world's largest salt flat. It's this place called Salar de Uyuni. And it's 4,000 square miles of like pure white, like as far as the eye can see, flat, pure white salt. And it's just one of the most beautiful things ever. Like at night, you can see the entire galaxy, uh, like the whole Milky Way. When it rains like a little bit during the rainy season, there's just this, it's like a mirror on the flat, salt flat. It's like this awesome reflection. And then you can take these cool pictures on depth perception. So like somebody will stand in, in the foreground, in the background, you can hold people in your hand or dangle them from their shirt with your fingers. So I'm in Salar de Uyuni and uh, we're taking this tour and this is, this is the sticks, dude. It takes so long to get there. You have to get on three flights. The town is like 500 people and they're all there just to do this. Everybody's a tour guide <laughs> and the hotel is made out of salt bricks. That's all there is, right? And we're on this tour and our tour guide starts telling us about how not only is this the largest salt flat in the world, but this is also the largest lithium reserve in the entire world. And a lot of people think that Bolivia could become the next Saudi Arabia, like as lithium becomes more prominent. I was just like, whoa, like, hold up. Tell me more about this. What do you mean? And he goes, well, the lithium is in the salt brine. It's like this used to be a prehistoric salt lake. Like it dried up and now it's, there's crust. But like this used to be a huge salt lake. And like lithium is a salt that's found in like salty lakes. And I was just blown away. And that was my eureka moment. I was like, I don't know how. I don't know what I'm going to do. But I'm going to get involved in lithium. Like lithium is going to be one of the most important natural resources over the next 10 to 20 years and this is the largest lithium reserve in the entire world that i'm like standing at right now like, that's just crazy uh, and that's what started my journey wow the takeaway is when it's new year's take the trip the take trip. the trip with the homies you might find your next great idea yeah take um, the trip have an open mind explore the world i love it so Help us connect the dots for the listeners who are unfamiliar with why exactly lithium is this core puzzle piece in this electrified future. How are those two dots connected? Yeah. So electrifying the future has to do with – yeah, electrifying the future has to do with renewable energy. We want to wean ourselves off of fossil fuels, which emit a lot of carbons, and you, you basically burn fossil fuels to create energy and power. We want to stop doing that and go to a renewable, a circular renewable energy ecosystem, which involves two things. One is the generation of renewable energy, which is – which happens from like solar, wind, hydro, just sustainable, renewable sources. So like the sun shines, you can capture that energy through solar panels. The wind blows, you can capture that energy through windmills. But the problem there is that uh, you have to use it pretty much as soon as it happens. You can't use the sun at night. So that create that means that the second pillar is energy storage. Once you capture that renewable energy, you have to uh, be able to store it. And that's 
like for cars, right? You have to store the energy so that you can use them when you drive, when you can use it when you drive. So that's where batteries comes into play. And batteries are made up of battery materials or battery metals. And lithium is, it's called a lithium ion battery. There's other materials in batteries, but lithium is the best material for batteries just from its inherent properties on the periodic table. Like lithium is the lightest metal that makes it really good for batteries because you want to have a light battery so that it can store as much energy as possible. Imagine if in your phone, the battery weighed 20 pounds, you probably wouldn't carry a phone around. And the same goes for a car. If your car battery was 10,000 pounds, it would be really hard to drive the car because the battery could only store, you'd have to move all of that weight as you drove. And that would, that it, it's, it would be harder to go further, right? Because there's an energy density equation. So lithium is the most important material in batteries for those reasons. It stores a lot of energy and it's really light. Wow. This is another topic tangential to this that I find deeply interesting, but a lot of thinkers in this space believe that materials like lithium are potentially the next battleground. And over the last year plus, you've seen headline after headline that says something to the effect of US's energy independence is at stake. And from what I understand, it's because materials like this are not homegrown. And when you look at countries like China, you talked about Bolivia, that are homes to these things, it's absolutely critical that we build a direct pipeline if we want to continue along this long road of energy dependence or self-independence. So maybe talk through how exactly Energy X can serve Americans' needs, because I've read a lot of materials. You talk a lot about Tesla and Elon. So it feels you are building to help us be this kind of self-sustaining nation going forward. But how are those two things connected? Yeah, definitely. Lithium, like other natural resources, it it is where it is in the world. The U.S. has some of it, but not as much as other geographical territories, Australia and South America and uh, a little bit of China. The U.S. has some, but you can, again, relate this to oil and gas, right? If you go to the Middle East, you could let, there was a point where you could like, stick a straw in the ground and like oil would just shoot out. That may be the case for Texas, but like just in general, it's not quite, the resource isn't quite as good in the U.S. So the same thing is true for lithium. As I spoke about before, lithium, there's, it comes in two ways. One, in hard rock, like in ore, uh, and think about like your big typical open pit mining operation with big tractors that have all those levels and you you know dig down that's not too environmentally friendly although that's the way that we source a lot of you know copper and, and iron and, and things like that but uh lithium is found either that way or it's found in salt brine so like think really salty water that salt is actually different minerals so we get our table salt like that but then we get potassium so table salt, sodium chloride, we get potassium, which is kind of like fertilizer. Uh, magnesium is a salt that's found in, in 
salt brine, and then lithium. The concentration of the lithium in this salt brine, you want to be a lot higher. And in the US, it's relatively low. We have the way that this is all measured is on a scale called PPMs or parts per million. So if you have one liter of solution, like think about a liter, like a water bottle or something, divide that into a million parts. Lithium in the United States, it can be around 100 or you know somewhere around that, 100 parts per million. Down in South America, you can find it 800 to 1700. So it's like 10 times wow. more concentrated in South America than it is here in the States. So if you're choosing between those two, it probably makes more economic sense to extract it from there than it is from here. We're working on both. There's a variety of different political and other reasons that you would want to just source it straight from here, but you have to ship it from down there. There may be embargoes or duties or taxes that are involved. And then, of course, like you said, it could become a battleground and, and it it inevitably will become a battleground of sorts. It's a really, it's a really important natural resource and anything that's really important is fought on. If it'll mm -hmm. be like wars, I don't know, like all that is kind of tactical, mm -hmm. tactical and political and stuff. But we, there's a long supply chain that goes into this. First, you have to extract it, but then you have to process it. And that's where China is absolutely whooping our ass. Like pretty much all the lithium goes over to China uh, to be processed into battery grade material. Even some of the lithium that we extract here in the United States, we still ship over to China and then ship process. back to process. Right. Yeah. And because so once you get the lithium out of the brine, you have to process it into battery grade lithium, which is a step. That's uh, like a whole factory. And then you have to put it into the cathode. So in a battery, there's kind of three parts, right? There's uh, the anode and the cathode, which is the lithium travels from one to the other during charge and discharge, right? So when your battery runs out, all the lithium is in the anode. And then you have to charge it back and it loses that electron to power whatever device you're using. Then mm -hmm. you plug it in and it gains that electron back and the lithium goes back to the other side of the cathode. Um, and then you unplug it from the source and it's all charged up and then you and then the lithium goes back. So you have to process the lithium into the cathode to start. And then you have to make the cell. And there's like all these, the battery supply chain is really comprehensive and complex. So anyway. What's interesting there, is that also another opportunity area for founders? Instead of offshoring it to China, should we just be creating tons of these processing plants that are homegrown? Yeah, absolutely. So so right now, like you can think about it in a few different steps. One is the lithium resource and, and produce the lithium. Then it's the processing the lithium into battery grade lithium. And then it's putting the, the battery grade lithium into the cathode. And then it's combining the cathode with the other battery parts, which are the anode and the separator, like the thing that separates them. And then it's assembling all of those into a cell. And then once you have a cell, you need to make like a battery management. You have to turn the cell into modules, which is like a group and then packs and then uh, battery management system. So the car companies like GM and Tesla are partnering with battery cell manufacturers. So now we're starting to build battery cell manufacturing here 
in the States. And you may have seen like GM partnered with LG and they're building a battery cell plant in Lordstown, Ohio and in Tennessee, in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Tesla's obviously partnered with Panasonic and they have their battery factory out in Nevada and they're building one in Austin, Texas. But going back further up the supply chain than cells, like some of my friends, one of my friends is starting a company called Mitra that is a cathode company. We don't have very many cathode companies in the United States. So just building these, like China just destroys us in manufacturing and processing and, you know, mm-hmm. part and parcel, they have, they have cheaper labor and we have labor laws and minimum wages and mm-hmm. <laughs> nothing against minimum wage, but like, we just don't have the same manufacturing capabilities as China. So mm-hmm. that's something that, that's something that we could definitely work on as a country. Mm-hmm. I want to double click into how energy X differs from traditional extraction methods like for the average listener here including myself the picture that i see is the one that you painted earlier right like big mines you got tractors and it looks like you're destroying the face of the earth in order to get the natural resource we need yeah you also painted this alternative that at least comes across as something that's much more conscious of the world sustainable. So what is that option number two and how is it better than the status quo? So the current methods are huge land scarring developments, like either these big pits with tractors and digging up the earth or these massive evaporation ponds that are like the entire size of New York City. And these are like tens of square miles of ponds that are built. If you're flown into San Francisco, you can see like a small little, small little ponds that are over there, like by the airport. But for us, all the lithium is found in the brine. So it's underground reservoirs. And if you can take that up and then just process it through a small facility and then put the rest and then take out the lithium and then put the rest back into underground, that's a much smaller footprint. And you use, you use less water, you use less electricity. It's just much, much more sustainable. I look at it from two sides. One side, you know, I think, again, I look at it from two sides. The most important side to me is getting ourselves off fossil fuels. So just the fact that lithium and energy storage and batteries are entering the renewable energy circular ecosystem, the end use of the product is a lot more sustainable because fossil fuels, you burn once and they're done. Lithium, it's rechargeable and you're not burning any CO2 into the atmosphere when you're using it. And then ultimately lithium is recyclable. Extracting the lithium from the ground, there's always going to be some sort of carbon emission. Now, making that more sustainable is important, but that's still like a one-time thing. To me, the most important is the use of it after that can last for tens of years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So just to put an end cap on how the Energy X business works. So we've talked about extraction. We've compared the approaches to doing so. Now, I, I'm, I don't want to assume how the business makes money, but is it as simple as, hey, we have this natural resource, car manufacturer X, do you want this resource? Here's the kind of competitive rate for such. Like, 
how do y'all actually make money after the resource has been extracted? So our business model is techno- task, technology as a service. Our customers are actually the lithium producers themselves. So if you're over there, Peter, say you own a lithium mine and you're producing 10,000 tons of lithium a year, we come to you and we say, look, if you implement our technology, you can increase your output to 30,000 tons a year. You can 3x your output for a fraction, a fractional cost of what it would cost to do that with the conventional methods. We have just a wow. small complementary piece of technology that improves the output. And the best comparison of this is fracking. Not from an environmental standpoint, because fracking has you know environmental consequences, but from an economics standpoint, right? For oil and gas, you would have your oil rig, uh, and it would drill the oil, and you'd bring oil up, and then they introduced fracking, and boom, all of a sudden, you were going not only straight down to drill for oil, but down and out, and that increased the output by like an order of ma- like 5x. You were bringing up five times as much oil. That's the exact same thing that we've done, but for lithium. Right now, they have these huge evaporation ponds that the sun naturally evaporates the water, the H2O, and then the salts precipitate or crash out. And you have this dried pond and they scoop out all the salt, but they only recover 30% of the available feed that they've pumped up from the ground. We say, let's use mechanical extract or separation run the brine that contains all this lithium through our membranes and all the lithium passes through. So you don't lose that 70%. We recover up to 90% and it takes a fraction of the time to do. Your output is now three times what it would have otherwise been. So what we say is for every ton of lithium that you produce using our technology, you just have to pay us a licensing fee. Think mm-hmm. about if somebody, nobody patented fracking, it just kind of developed. But if somebody had patented fracking and charged $2 for every barrel of, of oil or gas that, that was produced using that method and licensed it to Chevron, Exxon, Shell, BP, Saudi Aramco, all the oil majors, that would be a pretty profitable business. <laughs> wow. And just to put into context... If you look at the sole fact or projections on needs or demand for lithium, this is a necessary technology to match the demand. I don't know what projections are over the next few years, but from what I've gathered, the takeaway is that there are going to be massive inconsistencies or unmet needs between the two sides of the marketplace. So you need technologies like this in order to get homeostasis between the two. Yeah, so there are there's a huge supply demand imbalance. The end users of lithium, like the like the auto manufacturers and the battery cell makers literally can't get lithium fast enough. And you have to wonder, you've seen Tesla go up to an 800 billion dollar valuation. So Tesla as a relatively small car company in terms of how many cars it produces at one point was worth twice as much as every other car company in the world combined. So you have to ask yourself, why aren't all these other car companies making electric vehicles? And 
The reason is because there's this huge bottleneck on battery manufacturing. The supply changes isn't mature enough. They, they can't make batteries fast enough because they quite frankly can't get the bat, enough battery materials to make the, bat, the batteries and they don't, there's not enough lithium. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. Wow. So Teague, I want to segue into what we were riffing on before we, we kickstarted here, which is you've done an amazing job getting Energy X out to the world. And the way that I discovered you was through one of my favorite podcasts, Impulsive. And like to the casual observer, some might say, Teague, what, what are you doing going on Impulsive? But to case in point, you're here today because I was listening to that. And I'm sure there's been a number of serendipitous moments because of that. So what's the backstory behind getting onto Impulsive and the thinking around that opportunity? <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah, Impulsive was a total, it was a game changer for us. My whole job, I think constantly about ways to promote the company and get it out there and educate people because behind the scenes, like Energy X is a B2B, like kind of industrial somewhat boring company there's there's it's not like we're selling electric like sexy electric vehicles or b2c it's my job to a have people care about what we're doing and i do that i relate a lot of what we're doing to powering the future and like avoiding climate change and i'm constantly thinking about creative ways to do that and the backstory about getting on impulsive is even crazier than just than being on impulsive. So I, when I was younger, I collected Pokemon cards and, and like a lot of people collected Pokemon cards, but my, my collection was insane. Like it was, I had all the first edition Pokemon cards and, and I kept them in great shape and they were stored in a warehouse for the past 20 years. And I went and dug them up and I had three full first edition sets of Pokemon cards. Yeah. Plus like a few extra first edition Charizards and and other various ones. And so I saw that Logan was like getting into them and started posting about them. And I'm close friends with his co-host on the podcast, Mike, uh, big Mike. So I hit up Mike and I was like, yo dude, like I have all these Pokemon cards and he's all like, we've been getting up, we've been getting hit up a lot. Like send me some pics. So I sent him some pics and he's like, oh shit, like these are legit. So uh, I went over to Logan's and showed him the collection and he's like, damn, this is, he said it was the second best set that he had ever seen. I guess there was, yeah, which is cool. <laughs> I'll take second, I'll take second best set he's ever seen. Anyway, um, we end up cutting a deal and which i think the pokemon cards are worth a lot more even six months or eight months after uh-huh. we cut the deal he wore one of the poke he yes. wore one of his for his mayweather fight the million dollar yeah, card yeah i'm not sure if, if i sold him that card it's possible but anyway i cut a deal with him where he gave me a bunch of cash and then i said look like to me more important than money is like cutting a deal for my company and so the deal was that we did a Tesla giveaway and we promoted that on, I don't, did you know about the Tesla giveaway? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. So we get, and he had never done a giveaway. And one of my other buddies, this kid, Luke does high key clout and he tried to get him to do a giveaway and that was offered him a huge amount of money. I can't tell you how much money he offered him, 
but he turned it down. But this was like something that was deal coming together. It was a pretty cool thing. Uh-huh. So pay me a bunch of cash. We did the Tesla, gave away two Teslas and we announced one of the, and then we did the podcast to announce one of the winners. And you know, I just wanted to go on impulsive because it gets you know millions of views. And that was also a pretty cool way to promote the company. So you know, that's how that all came together. And it was a pretty cool wow. deal. So Logan has since moved down to Puerto Rico where I live and uh, you know, we've become good buddies down there. Two, two questions to build off that. First of all, crazy story. And y'all talked about a little bit on, on the pod. So for everyone listening, look up Teague Impulsive and just tune into the combo. It was awesome. What has been the effect or the impact of that conversation? Have you found like an influx of applications, of inbound? I saw you just raised or announced a fundraise of $20 million. So I don't know if you can connect the dots, but it seemed to have been maybe connected in some way. So what have you found has been the impact of that conversation since? (laughs) Yeah, that's a great question. So when you do a deal with somebody, you want it to be a win-win, right? That's the first thing. But what I was thinking about this whole time is, okay, I can, first of all, trade these Pokemon cards. What can I get out of these Pokemon cards? What's, what's, what, what's valuable to me? Cash is valuable, but for me, I wanted to grow my business because my business has potential of exponential growth, right? So I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a Tesla giveaway and I'm going to get a, a bunch of eyeballs on my business. So Logan has 20 million followers on Instagram, 20 million on YouTube, like all these different things. And then I'm going to go on his podcast and give away one of the Teslas. And then he gets several million views on all of his podcasts. But how do I translate that into ROI for my company? Yeah, a lot of people, uh, it's cool if a lot of people know about my company, but again, I'm not a B to C company. It's not like I'm selling these people like a widget or like something on Amazon that he's promoting or like a service. My, my business is selling direct lithium extraction technology to Fortune 500 lithium producers. So the way that I did it, I utilized equity crowdfunding. So anybody can go on our website and invest in our company and actually buy shares in EnergyX through right now net capital. And so the way that I did it was I tied the crowdfunding opportunity into the Tesla giveaway. So people had to go sign up and uh, sign up for the Tesla giveaway. And I captured their email. They followed on Instagram, all these things. And they didn't have to, they didn't have to invest in the company to enter because I wanted there to be like a loose connection, but they were all made aware of this investment opportunity. And from the exposure, the Tesla giveaway and going on impulsive gave us we were able to raise millions of dollars through the equity crowdfunding and ultimately close a $20 million Series A round of funding. He thought he got a good deal buying the uh, Pokemon cards and, and he did. Pokemon cards are worth a lot more now than they were when I sold them to him. And he was also able to give me less cash and, and in-kind right? if you attribute a value of mm-hmm. the, the, the exposure that I got. But how did I, how could I parlay that exposure into even more ROI for me? And, you know, you, I'm not going to sit here and say that he was directly responsible for my $20 million round, but maybe didn't hurt. You, yeah, it didn't hurt. It didn't hurt. <laughs> chess master over here. Man. <laughs> Life is brilliant. a game of chess, not checkers. 
Um, I'm another playing chess. Another note that I want to piggyback on is Puerto Rico. When he moved to Puerto Rico, everyone flagged him for being, dude, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Right, you're going to leave the boys. You're going to leave the set. You're going to go to some like remote place. And But you're headquartered there. I know a lot of people are moving operations there. What's your bullish take on Puerto Rico? Yeah, Puerto Rico. First of all, let me just say that like Lo- Logan is a genius for moving to Puerto Rico with his businesses, with what he does, with internet marketing. There is no other place you should be than Puerto Rico. But so for me, when I moved to Puerto Rico, it was really, I was looking at it like a sacrifice. I was living in LA and there's, there's a lot of distraction, temptation, FOMO in LA. Like you can go out and, and you can go out every night and party. So I, I really knew that I, when I told you that story about how I started Energy X, I knew that in order to reach my full potential, I needed to get away from all that noise and i had heard about the tax benefits of puerto rico and puerto rico is really the best of both worlds because it's a u.s territory so it you know has all the benefits of u.s citizenship and you know u.s currency and being u.s but it's its own country so it makes its own tax laws because there's no taxation without representation it doesn't have like senators or congressmen or it can't vote you can't vote for the president of the united states in puerto rico so I go down there and I'm thinking like, I'm going to be all by myself. I, I literally told myself, I'm just going to lock myself in a, in a fucking box and work on energy X 18 hours a day for the next three years. And that's essentially what I've done. <laughs> but what I didn't know is that in Puerto Rico is like paradise. It's the East coast Hawaii. And I went down there and I live on a golf course. Like, you know, obviously there's golf courses in Puerto Rico and, and it's an Island. So you're on the beach and there's a neighborhood down there in Dorado where I live and everybody drives golf golf carts around this neighborhood and there's a gym and I and it's super healthy. I call it like grown up sleep away boot camp. Like you eat healthy, you work out every day, you can play golf a couple times a week and you work. I have no there's no nightlife at least where I live or there isn't San Juan, but I don't live in San Juan. I don't go out. I don't you know spend time chasing girls. I just, I I work out and I work and Mm -hmm. that's what I want right now. And that's why I've been able to build Energy X into uh, a valuable company and, and, and execute on a lot of the initiatives that we've done so far. Before we put the bookends on the interview, I got a couple rapid fire questions. Ready Mm -hmm. to rock? Yep. Like I told you before we started, it was doing some LinkedIn stalking and I saw you went to Singularity University. Yep. What is your bullish or bearish take on that experience? I've heard a lot from afar, but never from an alum. What did you think of the experience? Singularity piqued my interest in exponential technology. So it gets you thinking in a different type of mindset. And and I went to Singularity before I did the five and five exercise with my dad. And that really laid a, a groundwork for thinking exponentially like all those five industries that i mentioned space technology renewable energy blockchain ai synthetic biology they're all exponential technology and those are actually minus crypto uh some of the things that i studied at singularity university so exponential technology thinking in an exponential mindset as opposed to a linear mindset 
is just a really important skill. And I say that's that was my main takeaway from Singularity. So super mm-hmm. bullish on exponential mindsets. Another interesting chapter in your life was at the age of 21, you ran a record label that released Sammy Adams' debut album. And for everyone listening, Scooter, who was the OG manager of Sammy Adams and now Bieber, Ariana, talks a lot about how that first album was the make or break in his career. So I'd love to hear what was the story behind that first business and how you got connected with Sammy Adams? Oh, my God. So (laughs) first of all, that's a past life. (laughs) That's uh, 12 years ago. And I I got nothing but love for Sammy and the gang from my old record label partner, Zach Johnson, who's now a cannabis vending machine company called Greenbox. Really cool stuff there. But I made a lot of mistakes when I did that. And I learned from those mistakes. And I found Sammy, man, the Sammy story is crazy too. So I was traveling, I was in Nantucket for 4th of July. And my but one of my buddies that I had brought got into a freestyle battle with Sammy on the beach. And there were like 100 people watching this freestyle battle. And I was just like, shit, dude, I should probably start a record label and sign both of these guys. This is so cool. And so I, I started a record label and signed Sammy and we made an album together and I had no idea how successful it was going to be. We threw it up on iTunes and went number one on iTunes in the first week that we dropped his album. And after that, I was like within a month, I was having breakfast at Jimmy Iovine's house. Jimmy Iovine's the founder of Interscope Records and, and, and Beats by Dre and sold out to Apple for $3 billion. And the chairman of Warner Brothers, this guy, Tom Wally, like all the biggest execs. And I was 20, 21 years old. It was crazy. And Interscope made us an offer. And for one reason or another, just advice that I had gotten, we didn't take the offer and we actually didn't take any offer. And that was, that's probably the biggest regret. It's funny. Like I say it's the biggest regret of my life because it would have propelled us to a whole new level. Like Right after that, I flew Mac Miller out to Boston and Mac Miller wanted to sign with me on the first round records and Sam, Sammy didn't want me to sign him. Uh, but if I had an imprint on Interscope, I would have signed him no brainer. And then I also was like the first person on Logic and flew Logic out to meet and ended up not signing him. I, I made him a huge offer. He ended up going with a different label. But if I had an imprint on Interscope, he signed with with. Def Jam, which is another mm-hmm. imprint on Inter- or imprint next to Interscope on Universal. But I could be a huge music exec if I had <laughs> made some right decisions in that. But if I had done that, then I wouldn't be running Energy X right now. And, you know, life, life is a journey. Like my dad always says, in life, you're walking, you're walking on your path. And you think about the path like a long hallway where you can't see the end of the hallway. There's a bright light, but you can't see the end. And on each side of the hallway, there are doors. And as you're walking down the hallway, you can stop and turn and, and open a door and, and look inside that door. And in that door, there's another long hallway. And you can either 
go through that door and start walking down a new hallway that you can't see the end. And there's doors on both sides of that hallway, or you can keep going down the path you're going. And I, I opened and went through a few doors and made decisions. And I'm not on that path anymore. I'm, I'm on this new path. But you know, that was, but I learned from those experiences. I, I, you can't even call them mistakes. I learned from those experiences and it's, it's giving me life lessons. Yeah, it's worked yeah. out. Too. It's worked out. <laughs> so my last question, and I end every interview with this one, it's around this notion of the idea graveyard. What is one idea that you'd love to work on if you had the time to do, but for now, it's just rotting away in your idea graveyard. I think that I'm working on what I should be working on right now. I think that Energy X is just going to make a, such a big impact on the world. And that's reflected in the progress that we've made over the short lifespan of the company. But I also, in the footstep, in the tracks of Elon, I'm just enamored with space. And I don't have my idea for my space technology company yet, but I want to be involved in space. And and just seeing Richard Branson go to space this past weekend was so cool. Like mm-hmm. I almost feel I, I was thinking a lot about is that our generation's moon moment? Like maybe not we there's pictures and stuff. Like when humans first went to the moon, like that just that inspired a whole generation of people like Bezos and Branson and that's probably why we are where we are today but that almost felt like my moon moment and I want to go to space I want to build a space company I want to enable our next generation to to reach for the stars and get there and so I don't have that idea that's in my graveyard but I'm, I'm trying to think of you know what that would be mm-hmm. I love it Teague I'd love to roll out the red carpet are there any final call to actions, hiring needs, anything that you want to leave with our listeners, the floor is yours. Yeah, we're doing, um, I don't like to really self-promote our, our opportunity on Energy X, but we are raising around. We have open opportunity to invest in the company. And we also have many open available positions. If you're um, a scientist or uh, engineer of of some sort that's related to batteries or energy and 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 energy technology. So I just want everybody to go check out the website. Our website's super cool. It's informational. You can learn a lot. It's interactive. You can see the investment opportunity. You can see the career opportunities. Go check it out. Love it, Teague. Thank you for coming on the show. For waking up at the crack of dawn for a little in good hands podcast and. Honestly, congrats on all of your early success and just having the the courage to take a leap in the first place. So Thanks, brother. Thank you, man. Peter, great talking to you. Hey there, you made it to the outro. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you're new here, welcome. If you're a longtime listener, thank you so much. We're actively casting for new guests on our show. So if you have a rock star founder or company in mind that's working on something cool, message me on Instagram at Peter A. Levin or email us, hello at ingothands.us. Thank you so much again and look forward to bringing you another new episode next Tuesday.